what is this episode? What? 33 now? 32. 32. 32. All right. Gents, episode 32 of the Racing Light podcast. How are we going, man? Good, mate. How are Thanks. you? Good to be back. Yeah. Good to be back, Mick. How was Brazil? Yeah, it was decent. Very decent. Can you say, a lot. Can, you, can you say that you enjoyed yourself a lot in Brazilian or Portuguese? I, I don't know what Give the word is for enjoy, but I know how to say like a lot and me. I just don't yeah. know how to say enjoy. Say that part. Say that part then. Just give us something. Spit some 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 bars. I can't. You can't. With Spanish, I would, but I can't do it in Portuguese. <laughs> Didn't immerse yourself in the culture, my friend. Yeah, you weren't there Try long to. enough. Try to. All right, well, let's um let's jump straight into it then, boys. Um, bit of racing this weekend, so we had um. Formula One and MotoGP last night. So we're going to have a bit of a breakdown on both races. Um, we're going to start with MotoGP. Uh, sorry, we're going to start with Formula One um, to begin with. So we had the um, race, the former San Marino Grand Prix. It's now known as the Grand Prix de uh, Emilia Romagna. Is that, is that right? Oh, I don't know. It's um, got the longest name in history. That took place in Imola um, yesterday. First sprint race for the year. Um, and we saw... Max Verstappen coming first, Sergio Perez coming second, and in third, surprisingly, was um, Lando Norris, who made definitely the most of his opportunity. Um, if you haven't watched the race, jump onto Foxtel, jump onto KO, get onto one of those KO minis um, and watch the race. We're going to talk about a few of the key talking points from the race tonight. Firstly, Boise was the first Brute race of the year. Um, and before we go any further, um, has your opinions of the sprint chase sprint race format changed at all um, since its inception? Yeah, I didn't actually mind it. Um, it kind of negates the, the point of having practice two, I feel before mm. the sprint race on a Saturday, uh, the cars are in park Ferme, They can't make any changes. Um, and I guess the only issue I see with it is because the cars are in Park Ferme from Friday, no changes can be made. So if you're qualifying your setup's crap on a on the Friday, you essentially can't make any changes for the whole any weekend. Fundamental so, changes anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for you you're behind all weekend. But otherwise I think from a spectacle point of view, I think it was good. What did you think? Mm, I struggle to see the relevance with it still. I'm being perfectly honest with you. Like, I mean, obviously the spectacle is good, but is it really mm. that good? I mean, what? How long was it? Twenty-one laps. Yep. Um, and for the most part, I think people aren't like they're pretty safe about the way they go racing for obvious reasons. I just don't see the real benefit. If I'm being honest with you, I mean, obviously we've got uh, restrictions on the engines. We've got a uh, cost cap now uh, as it pertains to the race teams. So going around and running. Uh, full beans just to essentially qualify for the race. Um, I don't really see the the point in it, um, particularly when it's only a few races a year. Like if it was a thing that we did every week and it was kind of the format that we needed to go racing, then yeah, maybe I could get on board with it a little bit more. But when it's only like a bit of a gimmick every so often, really just to appease the FIA who wanted to run it, um, but the teams don't want to run it. And I still think that a lot of the teams aren't really that interested in it. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, particularly when you watch the race on Sunday and it's like, that's the full race. You don't even remember what happened in the sprint race. Um, so that's, that's how I kind of 
feel about it. And there's more points, isn't there's more points now. You've got eight points for for first moving down to eighth. So there's a bit more points in the on offer for a qualifying race, um, which is good if you're a you know if you're a team that needs to chase down points. Um, but I don't know. I wouldn't say that it's. I wouldn't say it's in the spirit of Formula One, which is the pinnacle of motorsport, where gimmicks or gimmicky kind of things are supposed to be uh, not really that prevalent. Um, so yeah, I, I don't yeah. think I'm on board with it, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I prefer the traditional layout. Practice one, two, three, quality, then the race. Uh, considering that qualifying is actually so good, I think the qualifying mm. format that Formula One has is actually really quite engaging, and people like tune in to watch it already as it is. So why why change something that is working really well, and is definitely not break? I, I'm not sure I understand. Did you watch the sprint race, Mick? No. So no opinion on it. Well, wasn't the sprint race at? Um... Monza last year, the race where Verstappen and Hamilton took each other out. That was in the Grand Prix, but there was that that weekend. Yeah. Oh, so it was. So that incident didn't occur in the sprint race. No. No. Was the sprint race the one where Ricardo did well or something? Or yeah, he jumped from fifth to third, I think. Yeah. I I don't have an opinion on it because I actually don't really know that much about it. I think my understanding is that it's obviously a shorter race. I don't know how the points work. Is it the same allocation of points um, or not? Eight, for, eight points for first and then all the way down to one point for eight. Are they still like, it's still championship points and all of that, yeah? Yeah. 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 Mm. I, I think it's, it. I think it, I mean, anything like that, it always adds another dimension to the championship, I suppose. And um, is it, met, was it, was it, in, was it um, introduced to kind of give, traditionally less competitive teams something to go for or is it is it just like a gimmick i think it was introduced originally because of the mercedes dominance and they wanted to try and mix up the weekends um but now that we've got these new cars i don't think we need it but yeah it's yeah, interesting enough. i don't know it's going to be something that i wouldn't be surprised if it was not part of the championship for that long Let's jump into some of the meat and potatoes of the weekend, boys. So all weekend we saw. <laughs> I love that saying, meat and potatoes. I think that's the name it. of the pod. This yeah, week. I think I think uh, it just may be. Yeah. All weekend we um all weekend we saw Ferrari versus Red Bull again, and it's interesting. So we, you know, earlier in the season, it seemed like there was a, a slight Red Bull advantage on the Saudi track, and then Ferrari have come back, you know, really strongly in rounds two and round three, and it kind of swung a little bit back in in Red Bull's favour uh, this weekend, which is obviously really good to see, um, particularly when you're trying to have a, a really competitive championship. So, I mean, obviously, we saw a few mistakes from Ferrari. Carlos uh, got tangled up with Ricardo um, early in the race, so probably both a little bit at fault for that, hence the racing incident that was given. And then we saw a huge mistake from, from Leclerc, 10 laps from the end, that... Um, even this early in the championship kind of um, definitely gave a free kick to, to Verstappen and to Red, and to Red Bull. So what do you boys make of, of that dynamic so far and how it's shaping the championship? Uh, I, I honestly thought um, Ferrari were going to run away with it. My fantasy team was Leclerc was my turbo driver and the constructor was Ferrari. So I honestly thought they were going to absolutely dominate this weekend. Um, 
just based on what happened in in Melbourne. But it seems that Red Bull's fixed a few of their uh, reliability issues, and I think that's the only thing that Red Bull was struggling with in the straight in a straight line. That Red Bull is just as quick, if not quicker, than the Ferrari. So I think we've now got a real battle on our hands, and Leclerc is very prone to these stupid little mistakes, and I think he needs to eradicate that from his repertoire, if if you will. Um, otherwise, Verstappen's going to really mean really quickly. He was very lucky that the accident wasn't worse than, than it actually was, that he was actually able mm. to drive away from it. Because if he comes in a little bit hotter or even on a slightly different angle, then and mm. it doesn't hit, you know, it doesn't hit the barriers flush, you know, he might have very easily had a broken suspension or a broken rear end. So he got very, very lucky with that accident um, and then was able to make, you know, four spots to finish in what, fifth or sixth, whichever it was. Six, sixth, yeah. I think. So definitely very lucky mick you're you haven't been on an f1 pod for for a little while what did you make of last night's race mate yeah look i'm i am um, has been a while obviously i've been away for a bit um i'm enjoying this season though. i think there's heaps more in the races compared to last year um just even seeing like for example the last there was a lot of coverage in the last 10 laps or so that there was a bit of a battle going on between was a Bottas and um, mm. I don't know some other car that traditionally isn't up there. I was like, this is cool, you know, it's cars that I don't we don't normally watch. But um, unfortunate, unfortunate for Science and and Danny Rick at the start. You know, Ferrari did look pretty strong, but I, I just find it cool that it's not Mercedes. To be honest, I'm enjoying it being a different manufacturer. Um, even though Red Bull's up there again, I just think it's cool that. You know, someone, another club, another club, another team has kind of stepped up to the to the plate. I think it's it's really good to see. I love Italian tracks. Um, the turnout there was amazing. I think you guys were talking about it in a pod that I missed. Um, you guys were talking about like traditional tracks. You know where I stand on that. Um, Imola's is amazing track, absolutely packed with Ferrari fans. So they're a little bit disappointed, but you know, I just think the spectacle was awesome. I enjoyed it. I just think there was heaps that happened in that race. Like you just mentioned, Leclerc hitting the wall. I don't know how his car, I don't know how the axles didn't didn't completely bust and he could get that to the pits, to be honest. Like it's, when you watch the replay, it's kind of like he turns the, um, he, he, it's like he made the his tyres flush just before it hit the wall. So I think that got a little bit lucky there. But no, nah, it was just really good. I just enjoyed every element of that race. Um, you could say it was a little bit, boring at the front at the end but i just think there was enough happening throughout the whole the whole 63 laps or whatever it was um to keep me interested and normally if we're going back to last year i'd have been bored so no i really enjoyed it and i'm start. i think i'm enjoying it more and more as the you know as this season heats up i like that it's not that it's kind of got that unpredictability now it's not like oh hamilton's gonna win every race so yeah i'm enjoying it michael just mentioned he doesn't believe how Leclerc kept that car out of the wall. Um, that kitty litter this whole weekend, like we had Bodas and Magnuson and Norris and Ocon in practice go off. And a few of them were very close to the wall. That kitty litter did its job because a lot of them were able to either get their car out or were just beached. Yeah, like to do science. Is get it. yeah, like amazing. Any other track, they're in the wall there and the car's gone. So I don't know how Danny Rick actually got through it because you watched It was, it was lucky incident. it was a bit wet. Yeah, and, and he kind of glided over most of it and then managed to find that kind of escape escape road. So he was mm. he was lucky there, but um 
just to quickly touch back on something that I, I just touched uh, touched upon, you were talking about like how unforgiving tracks like, you know, the more traditional tracks are because they haven't got all that runoff. Mm. It's just so, it was just for me, it was just so good watching um, F1 being raced at a, like a, tr a track like Imola. Like it's, mm. it's thinner, you know, it's, it's so fast, it's unpredictable. The, those, the sausage curbs, you know, that um, Leclerc hit, yeah, so he, he, I, I couldn't believe um, on the reverse angle how fast he was going through there. Granted, he was pushing hard, but mm. um, just just little things like that. You just you know, I, I really enjoy seeing little nuances about the track. It was just cool. Well, H, you we were talking off air, you know, just before Michael jumped on, and you were kind of saying that you were really anticipating racing at Miller, and then it kind of was a little bit of a, a dead fish of a race for you. Um, do you want to kind of elaborate on on that opinion? Yeah, like I, I'm with Mick. I think Imola is is an awesome track. I absolutely love it. Um, I love racing on it on the on the games. But I think these cars, and it's not for all traditional tracks, but for Imola in particular, and I think this may have been the reason why it was removed from the calendar. Um, the cars are just too big, you know, and, and there's no there's no opportunity even in the braking zones. It's very hard to do make that overtake, and it's only really in that DRS zone and we'll get to the DRS in a second with the issues that we had there, but down that straight and that braking zone at the end for that um, chicane, that's pretty much the only overtaking we saw. I know there was, there was a bit of, there was a bit of overtaking going into the, um, I think into the hairpin at the back of yeah. the track, but then also I... going into the, sorry, yeah, going yeah, into right. that last chicane. There was I think that's... three or four moves into that chicane, which was actually quite surprising. Um, yeah, Russell overtook. I think one of the Alpines in that. I think yeah, it was Russell. Someone, someone took Magnuson as well during yeah. in that particular yeah. section there. Yeah. But then also, I think something that has to be considered, like I said it last night on our chat, that I felt like there was more overtaking during the race, particularly without DRS, than I would have expected, which was really good to see. But then I think another part of the drama of of motorsport and of the championship is about. Um, the D did not finishes. So when you've got like a track like Imola and there's the incident between Sainz and Ricardo on the first corner, Sainz didn't get out of the kitty litter. His race was done. And in a lot of tracks now, when you've, got, around. when you've got runoff, you're turning around, you're starting from the back and you're making your way back through the field in the fastest car on the track. So I think, and we saw the same thing in, in Albert Park for him as well. So I think that kind of jeopardy is still a, definitely a talking point of the championship. And even if it's not necessarily, you know, the overtaking that you want to see, it still definitely does change the spectacle of the season, probably in a more dramatic way than, than some of the overtaking does as well. The same thing with Leclerc's accident with a lot of the tracks we have now where you don't have the um, chicanes like that. Um, you know, he might go over the... Um, go over the corner of the track and get a strike curb strike or something like that. But that, that was, you know, that dramatically changed the complexion of the race because he took, you know, was too aggressive going through that chicane. And I, I felt like that as a race, I think that it had enough, you know, drama had enough overtaking um, for it to be a great race. And obviously we saw even, and we can probably talk about this a little bit later on, you know, even differences and difficulties that some of our, our better drive or our traditionally better drivers, people like Hamilton had, you know, making a move on, on Sonoda going into the first corner for 15 laps. Um, Gasly. So I think Gasly. 
Oh, Gasly, sorry. Yeah. Mm. So it was definitely, I felt like it was definitely, um, from my point of view, I, I thought it was like a pretty great race. I think there's definitely a point to be said about the size of the cars mm. um, and trying to get them, I don't know, even dropped by 15% would be, you know, huge for the ability to overtake and things like that. Um, but it's definitely an interesting race. Um, and again, I love the scenery. I love the fact that we're racing at Imola. And I, we yeah. need some more tracks that have a bit of gravel, a bit of grass, um, and a bit of rain definitely doesn't doesn't go astray. Boys, talking about um, Mercedes, particularly the Hamilton and Russell dynamic and how it's going right now, what do you make of, of the early season form of those two drivers? I thought it was pretty telling at the end of Quali the little exchange between Hamilton and um, Toto. And you, and you made a mention of it last weekend um, that you don't think that Hamilton will hang around if, if, if this continues. And I think there is a few little cracks starting to appear there. Um, I think, I do think Mercedes will turn it around, but I think if Hamilton continues and he, and he does it, you know, he, I don't think he would have thought that we would have seen that on TV, him and Toto going. So, yeah, I can only imagine what's happening in the driver debriefs and or whatever, but he says the right things on the radio, but behind the scenes, I think he's not a happy camper. And he's starting I, to, sorry. Yeah. I, I don't know if he's going to hang around for another year. I'm, I'm last week. I thought you're crazy, but after he's this starting week, to say less and less on the radio. Mm. And, he, and if he was, if the car wasn't performing, but he was still the best performing driver in the team, then you, he can make the excuse that it's all the team and not him. Yep. And there's definitely something to be said for the issues that that car, that car has. Yep. Um, when you consider that with George Russell um, in a Mercedes, that he was, lose, he was losing time to Lando Norris, who was ahead of him mm. in a McLaren Mercedes. So there's definitely more to that car than just the engine, um, which is interesting. But then also from a Hamilton point of view, with him being mired in 14th or wherever it was, maybe... 12th by the end of the race it might have been or 11th it doesn't really matter when you're not scoring points yeah. um and you've got someone like russell who really hasn't put a foot wrong this year he's maximized every um opportunity that he's had and he's sitting what fourth in the championship which is yeah. quite phenomenal um so there's i saw a stat today to about that i saw a stat today he's finished in the top four or five in every race this year yeah and considering and the car doesn't deserve it no, that's right. So he's doing really well. Um, so I can't really fault him. I think he's doing a great job, but it definitely does put a lot of pressure on Hamilton, who hasn't been qualifying well at all. Um, and he had a horrible start to the race yesterday and, and kind of set the tone for the, for the rest of the, um, the race for him. Um, Joseph made the point on the chat. I think it's something that might be worth giving a little bit of screen time to. Does the not the upbringing, but the recent history of the two drivers play any part in how they're dealing with this troubled car. So you've got someone like Hamilton who has been in the most dominant car for the last seven years of his career, who um, has dominated in that car, but rightly so, because obviously the performance of the car should be nothing less. And you've got someone like Russell who's had to scrap for the last three years to make anything happen in a Williams. Do you think that his experiences with an underperforming car in his recent past has, has played a role in, in how he's performing this year? Or for someone like Hamilton with that much experience, 
that really shouldn't be an excuse. Oh, look, I'd, if I just add my two cents here, like I think there's always merit in anything, um, in any, you know, profession that you, where you've had to graft um, in maybe, you know, a situation that isn't uh, as advanced as your peers, I think it's always going to put you in good stead when you do have um, machinery or you're elevated to a position where your situation is a little bit easier. Now, granted, the Mercedes isn't um, phenomenal this year, as we can see, but I'm, I'm sure it's a lot better than the Williams that he was trying to um, drive last year. So, uh, I mean, looking at his performance yesterday, um, he was making the best of a car that Hamilton can't wrap his head around yet, it seems. So um, I think that there'd have to be some merit in what you just um, posed. But at the same time, um, I'd like to see Hamilton really go for it this year because if he's as good as, um, you know, we all say he is and um, the media loves to say he is, isn't this is the kind of year where I, where I want to see an almost Michael Schumacher um, outperform your, your machinery kind of season. Like we know how many years Michael struggled in a, in a Ferrari that was subpar. Um, now Hamilton's had the benefit of having, you could say, the best car for a long time. I want to see what it's like when now that he's got a car that you know isn't up to scratch, so to speak. So, so me as someone you know relatively new to the sport again, um, I'm interested in seeing that. So for him to kind of be, you know, to be honest, he hasn't been sucking too much. Um, I thought it'd be be worse to be honest, but um, I'd like to see him really attack attack this season and try to go for it, even though I don't think he's going to win. Um, it'd be good to see him really, really attempt to um, outperform the car. I think it, that's, yeah, that's what I'd like to see. But um, yeah, I think there's definitely credence to what you were saying about Russell um, having to graft. I think that's a valid point. The interesting thing about the season is it'll be interesting to see how, if he does finish ahead of Russell or not. And then obviously if he doesn't, how far behind Russell he, he does finish because obviously we know his history. We know how dominant he's been over the last decade almost. Um, but could this potentially tarnish his reputation? Um, obviously, even when Schumacher wasn't performing in an underperforming Ferrari, he um, was still always beating his teammate pretty convincingly if he wasn't injured, except for maybe his last year when Rosberg um, in Mercedes, when Rosberg definitely was the better of the two drivers. So this, you know, if the car's underperforming and, and Hamilton, you know, is, is underperforming in relation to his performances uh, as opposed to Russell, I think the reality, even this early in the season, that this could be a swan song, um, it's pretty high. I think it's pretty high because I don't think Russell's going to get any worse. Um, he's already, like we've said, his consistency is definitely starting to, to show already. So we can only imagine that he's only going to get better as the car continues to perform as well. So it's definitely an interesting thing to consider. Um, another thing that has blown me away to start this year, um, and I want to get you, um, you boys' opinion on it as well, Valtteri Bottas. I couldn't say enough things last year to sink his ship as a racer. I kind of thought he was washed up and I made it pretty clear that I felt a particular way about him. But to start this year, he has been phenomenal. He has been really good. Now, obviously, some of that might have to do with how well that Ferrari engine is performing. 
but he looks like a totally new driver. He reminds me of the really assured, the really confident, the driver that was making moves at Williams before his move to Mercedes. Is that something that you guys are seeing as well? Yeah, I think um, oh, you can only imagine the psychological toll it has being in a team that's tailored towards one driver for so many years. Mm-hmm. And now that he's gone to Alpha, who essentially have said, you're our number one, you know, you've got a rookie beside you, we want you to mentor him, blah, blah, blah. He's taken that role on, I think, really yeah. well. And, he, and he's showing, and he mentioned it in um, the Beyond the Grid website last year, uh, podcast last year with um, Tom Clarkson, that he said, you know, these year-to-year contracts have been messing with my head and it's good moving forward that I'm going to have some security with Alfa Romeo and he's able to just concentrate on the driving. So I think, and I think Carlos has said something recently as well, something similar, um, you know, having multi-year contracts is good for you mentally moving forward. So I think we're seeing the benefits of that with Valtteri. Well, they, they've just given him a multi-year contract, which is great as well from mm. Ferrari's point of view. Um, it's yep. really interesting because, I mean, we saw the same thing with Gasly um, and, you know, he's kind of, completely changed his, his racing since he, he left Red Bull. So there's definitely something to be said about the, um, you know, going into a team where you're the number two driver. Hmm. I think you see something slightly, like, you look at someone like Sergio Perez on the other hand, who kind of knows his role um, very clearly. And he's, you know, performing as well as he possibly can in that particular environment. So it's, it's a, probably a horses for courses kind of scenario. Yeah, but I was I was happy to say last year I said it a few times that Bottas really hadn't deserved his spot on the grid anymore, um, and he's been phenomenal. Even watching him race this weekend, you know, I was if he didn't have that incident in the pit lane where, you know, they took a little bit more time, he probably would have been right there with 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 Norris fighting for a podium. That's I think a fairly realistic um, expectation to have for for how he was going. Yeah, um, what did he finish? Like fifteen seconds behind or something. Or was it I less? Don't, I don't even think it might have been six seconds, man. Like I don't think oh. it, I don't think it was that far yeah, right. um, behind at all. So there was definitely um, a mm. consideration that that could have been the could have been the case. Um, some more interesting news that I stumbled across last night, and this is, you know, probably a little bit of a um, information that can be used to troll. But Aston Martin and the troll, rumors troll. that they, yeah, a, a, a stroll troll. That's what it could be called. <laughs> Aston Martin and the rumours that they could be selling to Audi. After all the statements that have been made, all the, you know, we're here for the long haul, we're here to do it right, we're going to invest in a new campus, and all this kind of rhetoric that we've been getting from Lawrence Stroll over the last two years. The team's underperformed since the tracing point, um, and that has to be said. Probably hasn't helped this year that, the Mercedes engine is doing so poorly as well. But is this, do you think, a, a something that could come to fruition, considering how much talk and how much money has been invested in reinvigorating the Aston Martin brand? Yeah, I was doing some reading today, and um, Audi obviously want in to Formula One. McLaren's obviously not selling. Um so they've gone to the next best thing, I think, and a team that's about to put the infrastructure in place to become um, a force, I guess, in the next 10 years, say. And I guess Audi wants something that they be, they will be able to 
construct their own engines. And I think the new factories that Aston Martin are building, they're looking at that potentially as we could do our own car development, our own engine development, and base it all out of the one, the one factory. The only thing that I worry about this rumor is Stroll has said many times that he's uh wants to build a you know a Formula One dynasty. He's put all this money in. You know his son's obviously a driver. Is he? He doesn't strike me as the type that's willing to give up so quickly after what two years, two two three years. I think yeah, I think his ego definitely would make me think the same. But he's also a businessman, mm. and I can't see someone as ruthless as him um, not getting a return on investment if things aren't going as he would expect them to be performing. Um, so it's definitely interesting. I don't know, like, would it be a complete sale to Audi? Would it be, you know, 51-49 and it's going to be good Aston Martin, Audi, right? I mean, is it even just a hoax? It's mm-hmm. very interesting to see how this story plays out. Um, and it's even more interesting because we spoke about it last week saying that in order for the team to be taken seriously, some serious changes probably need to be made at the driver point of view. I mean, talk about talk about this. Um, what's our, our mate that we think is an interesting name? Martin Crack? Mike Crack. Mike Crack said yesterday, so the question was asked whether Vettel is, you know, performing up to the prescribed standards of, his contract and whether you know, there's consideration about moving on next year to which he said I don't see why there'd be any reason why we'd want to move off a four-time world champion um, which is bizarre like I mean considering that he hasn't really done a whole lot to justify the contract so I mean I understand that you want to keep your drivers happy but at the same time if you're the management of a team surely you want to put a little bit of pressure on the drivers to perform as well if they're, if they're not at that level so I mean, Aston Martin right now, they're in a very interesting situation. I guess that it was the first time this year that they've had a double points finish, which is um, a benefit. But again, when it's 7th and 10th, and you've got mm. um, McLaren finishing third, Alpha Romeo finishing in fifth, um, that's hardly anything to write home about. Because even though they've got that double points finish, they still lost ground on, on those people that they're racing against, except for maybe um, Renault, uh, so Alpine. So it's definitely a, a conversation or a, a storyline to to be aware of moving forward. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure I know how how I feel about that. Um, what I've taken just quickly, what I've taken from all these rumors is Audi or Volkswagen really want into Formula One over the next few years, and yeah. I think they would they would prefer to purchase something a team with infrastructure already in place yeah. rather than starting from scratch. And they're going around the paddock at the moment trying to find somewhere to start up. So interesting if, times. If um if Aston Martin were not to sell and Audi did have to buy in, could you see them potentially doing a deal with someone like Andretti and and splitting that cost, maybe and having an Andretti Audi team? That would be um, awesome and could happen. Um, I guess the only Keep issue the is the other issue is Andretti hasn't got Formula One infrastructure in place, and I think that's what Audi wants. But I guess if you're splitting the cost, well, if it's it's an next best thing, right? If you don't yeah. have, if you can't get your foot in the door by buying a team, then at least go in with a team that's got a bit of pedigree at racing, and, and then mm. kind of um, 
consolidate both of your corporations to try to, to get everything moving a little bit faster. Okay. Um, before we finish up on Formula One, I thought we better go through the power rankings for this week. So um, I've put together the power rankings, taking into consideration. Well, I'll tell you what my key considerations were for, for this particular power ranking. Um, there's been a few mistakes to start this season. So I was kind of thinking about what drivers have done everything within their power to maximize every race meeting that they've been in. And I kind of did my ranking based off of that, as opposed to obviously the performance of the cars. So I've got Verstappen in first, obviously he's DNF'd from two races, but that had nothing to do with him. Um, so you can't really fault him. The races he's finished, he's finished in first, the other two races, he was leading, he was second in Melbourne. He was leading Saudi Arabia. So he was maxim, definitely maximizing his races and he's made no mistakes um, yet. I have to put Russell in second um, purely because he's maximized um, every race with the car and he's significantly um, outperforming Lewis Hamilton in the last two races as well. Leclerc has made some mistakes and that was taken into consideration as to why he went behind Russell, but he still won a couple of races and, you know, still leading the championship. So that has to you know, be taken into consideration as well. Fourth, I've got Perez, um, a little bit unlucky with engine issues earlier in the year. And has made a few mistakes. Hasn't qualified as well as he should, but has definitely reclaimed those positions uh, in the race. Uh, and he's kind of done everything he can for the team. So he's up there in fourth. I've got Lando Norris in fifth. McLaren are looking all over the place to start the year. Uh, and even after the first race where there was a no-points finish, he's maximised the, the, the car um, for the rest of the year. So that has to be taken into consideration. You know, he's got had two podiums. No, he's had one podium um, this year as well, which is definitely... Um, outperforming where the car should be. So that has to be given its credit. I've got Botas in sick, um, just for getting some strong points finishes this year. Has had a complete, you know, facelift as a driver this year. Um, Magnussen in seventh, um, significantly outperforming Mick Schumacher to start the year. Has come back to F1 um, and has had taken no time to really get his feet under him again. He's just powered straight in even without the, the neck muscles, which is awesome to see. Um, I've had to put Albon in eighth. Now, it's probably a little bit of a stretch, but the guy's done nothing wrong. I think, he was, I think he's had a great season. He's, he's making Latifi look probably even worse than Russell did. Um, he's significantly outperforming the car. He's another one of those drivers, really, that he's come back to F1 after in, a stint in Red Bull where he looked lost to the world um, and he's really showing his potential again as a Formula 1 driver so I think a lot of credit has to go to Albon and what he's doing I mean he finished ahead of of Lewis Hamilton in a in a Williams that has to be he, yeah he had no DRS for the whole race and Gasly and and Hamilton had DRS behind him and they still couldn't pass him really I didn't know that because yeah, he he wasn't whoever was in front of him stroll I think oh, stroll the was, DRS train gotcha yeah yeah, yeah true, yes. true, true. so Albon was at the front of that train and didn't let any of them pass so I wow. think he, he did amazing good effort and I've got Hamilton in ninth by default because he's had a few 
um, good finishes you know, earlier in the, in the season. And my last one has to go to Sonoda. Um, again, seems all over the place at the end of last year in the AlphaTauri. Has had two points finishes in the last three races. Had it did not start, unfortunately for him. But he's definitely um, been really good for AlphaTauri and has probably outperformed Gasly, I have to say, to start the season. So that's my top 10. Um, what do you think? Uh, can't argue with it, mate. The only thing that I probably would have done if I wrote them was probably swap Russell and Leclerc, but I totally get your um your reasoning behind it. Otherwise, I was just looking at that and I saw Sonoda's name and I thought, what the hell? But then you look at the season overall. He's been a quiet achiever, but he has. He's outperformed Gasly and he's done really well. So, um, you know, maybe Magnussen on top of Bottas just because of that Haas, it probably isn't as good as the Alpha. But otherwise, mate, I think that's that's pretty spot on. All right. We'll chuck that up on the socials. Will do. Um, tomorrow as well. So if you want to uh, get on, you know, get in the comments and tell us what you think as well, please, by all means, do it. And before we jump away, we started um, the F1 Fantasy this week. <laughs> and the leader going into uh, after our first race has to go to William Seal on, yep. two, on, on 420 points. So keep it up. Mr. Seal, um, I'm close behind on 402. And then I think there's a little bit of a gap. And Mick, you still haven't joined, mate. Yeah, I don't think I'll be joining lads. At least you're but, honest about it. Some people always, you know, those, you know those people that always say, yeah, I'll join, I'll join, and they never join. At least you're not one of those folks. We have to give a bit of credit for that. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into MotoGP then, lads. So we had the second race. Was actually the first race of the night because it was before the F1 last night. Took place uh, in the put in um, Algarve in Portugal. What's that round four of the MotoGP season, Mick? That is round four, yes. So, very interesting race. MotoGP this year is throwing up all kinds of curveballs. Like it has to, can't be, definitely can't be understated. And guess what I've just done? I've just deleted my bloody talking points for MotoGP. Hey, you're going to have to tell me. So we're looking at the Yamaha Dilemma first up. Oh, that, yeah, that's, that's a, probably a good place to start. This Yamaha bike up to this point has kind of been nowhere. Um, they haven't really qualified that well. And as the Yamahas normally do, once they get wide in the field, they really struggle to pass. Um, but we saw Quadraro really execute the perfect race today. He started from close enough to the front, got to the lead very quickly, and it was kind of a, we could still say a very Lorenzo-esque race win for him. But, I mean, Maverick Vinales did the same thing when he was on the Yamaha. We're seeing Quadraro do the same thing um, as well. So it's just very interesting. The bike's been nowhere. Um, even this race, we had Davizioso and Morbidelli kind of sitting 15th and 16th. They jumped up a little bit higher when um, Nakagami crashed and so did um, the Miller-Mir incident. But he's significantly outperforming. For him to be, to win that race by eight seconds and for everybody else on a Yamaha to be outside the top 10 is, you know, it definitely says a lot about how well he's performing. You're talking about Quartararo. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think um, we can talk about the Yamaha bike and you can, we can obviously see that 
in the first couple of races, Yamaha struggling for straight line speed. Um, I don't think Portimao is necessarily a track where straight line speed is going to factor in massively to that track. I mean, obviously there's a quite a long straight, but I feel like the exit, the exit to the last corner is probably more important than straight line speed. It's not really a long straight. Um, if you, if the bikes that had the least anti wheelie mm. um, were, were re- coming out of that, that banking sweeping last corner were the ones that were really making up a lot of time. And we saw that um, with Quateraro, like the way he um, found the slipstream behind me early in the race and overtook him coming down the straight shows that it's not necessarily a straight line speed track. And then we know how Quateraro is so dominant at Portimao. He did the same thing last year um, where he was engaged in quite a long um, back and forth with Rins, but even then he was still faster. Um, so I think that Quateraro's um, ability to perform well at that track um, kind of hides some of the deficiencies in the Yamaha, but we also know that Yamaha is good a good bike on on windy, um, you know, tire preservation kind of circuit. So I just think that, I think, I I don't think we can read too much into it. I think it's a quarter track. I think he did what he did last year, put his foot down. He watched me for a few laps um, and then he just never looked back. Granted, I think um, me was a little bit hampered because his front tire, he he set up. Yeah, he was having so many wheelies coming onto that straight. You could tell he wasn't um, he wasn't comfortable, and, ge- and generally Mia goes into the race. So to see him kind of deteriorating um, from like pretty early on was a little bit uncharacteristic. Um, it was very unfortunate how his race ended because I think he not, just because of the way he defends, I think he could have still finished second or third. Um, but the way Miller was coming would have you know you could make the argument that he wouldn't have. So. It was unfortunate, um, but I think with, with regards to Quattararo, um, you know, he, he loves that track. I think when we get to some, you know, some of the more um, straight line speed tracks in Europe, Austria comes to mind. Um, we'll see. I think we'll see deficiencies in the Yamaha again, but Quattararo was dominant. And I think he was, it was, a, it's like what the commentators are saying. It was very Lorenzo-esque um, once he got in front. Now that Lorenzo's retired, oh, can we start? Can we start calling it Quattro esque or is it just Yamaha esque? Because, like I said, it's definitely something Lorenzo did. It's something Vinales did when he was early on in his Yamaha career. It seems to be that that bike, on it some races. tracks, if they're able to get in into the lead, um, they're able to hold it there. But if they're if they're kind of mired in the midfield, it doesn't really make its way through the field that well. To be honest, I, I knew Quattro was going to. Um was legit in that race after you could t- see after like the first three corners, he jumped like a few spots. And then mm. I was like, well, I can't see me holding him off knowing how fast he was. He was doing 39s. nearly every, yeah. yeah. So, and, and that's like what he was doing for qualifying. So I was like, he's doing qualifying speed every lap and he was doing the set. He did the same thing last year. And to be honest, the only person that I thought, would challenge him would have been Rins because Rins does 39s at that track consistently too, but he was, you know, probably used the up, back of the grid. Probably so, too much tire getting up to them. Like, yeah. Talking about, let's, let's jump into that. Then let's jump into the, to the, I wanted to talk about Suzuki a little bit because um, it was really like an interesting to see me kind of started up the front, but faded 
pretty quickly. But even like we say he faded, he makes it so difficult for people to get past him. Like I love how tenacious he is at, you know, trying to stay ahead. But then on the other hand, you know, someone that we've talked about quite a lot, which is Alex Rins, starting from 24th, he made up, I think it was 10 or 12 positions in the first two laps, which is ridiculous. Yeah, um, 10 positions in the first three or four corners. Well, there you go. Like, talk about insane. Um, but again, that was a really impressive ride by Rins. He probably had to chew up a little bit more of his tyre than some of the people at the front early just to get to the front. Um, but then even towards the end when he was sitting in fourth and I kind of was thinking, is he going to push to try to get the podium or is he just going to settle for the points? From my point of view, I was really quite impressed that he didn't keep pushing and he just kind of, it's almost like he said, moving, making 20 positions in this race, you know, is more than enough for, you know, what my championship needs. And he kind of just settled there. And I was, I was quite impressed to see that because I think maybe he's starting to to mature as a rider and kind of think about the long game. Um, he's probably taken a leaf out of his teammates book in that regard. Yeah, look, I'm, I am very quietly and everyone knows my, where my allegiances lie in this, in this sport, but I'm very quietly confident in Suzuki this year. I think, um, you know, if me doesn't get taken out by Millie yesterday, um, they're both one point behind, um, in the standings that they would have been on the same amount of points. Um, I think there's two things here. I think Rins, they're obviously both in contract years, which which is you know enough incentive anyway. But I think Rins really reset over the break. Um, he's come, he's got a completely different attitude. And I think if you look at his socials and the way he's talking and um, just the confidence in him is is phenomenal this year he's riding completely differently he's not taking stupid risks but at the same time he's being aggressive he's obviously very confident in the bike like he, he hasn't fallen yet fingers crossed but i think the i think the improvements in the bike they're both riders really happy with so considering that to be to, to considering that none of the tracks that have been raced that are historically tracks that suzuki do well at and uh, and looking at where they've positioned themselves at the start of the year I'd be very worried if I were the other teams because I think um, Suzuki, as we saw with Mir two years ago, don't necessarily have to be winning races. I think they, if they if they if they can get a few wins, but also just stay at the top of the podium, um, I think they're very well positioned for a, for a really strong year. And and don't don't underwrite how much um, Rins's early success this year would be pissing Mir off too because he he's um is a bit of a silent assassin. And even when he fell off yesterday, there was all like hugs and smiles after it. But you saw him get up and do the sarcastic clapping to Miller um, when when he got taken out. He, he'd be pissed. So I, I really think that moving forward, look out for Suzuki because they're coming um, they're coming hard with that new bike. And I think both riders are very impressed. I would not be surprised if um, after a strong year they both end up renewing um, because I think they're very they're both very happy with the bike. I think the way that they're performing, obviously they can't win the constructors' championship with the the fleet that Ducati has. But well, they're leading I've, it now, so they're leading the constructors or the um, teams. Sorry, they're leading the team. Yeah, I don't know if they can do the, the constructors team. with the with the just the pull that up actually because I've, the amount of firepower yeah, that Ducati has. It's it's definitely I was definitely very impressed, and obviously let's move into that Jack Miller incident. Um, H, we spoke about it last week. I kind of said that 
until Jack Miller's able to put multiple positive races together, um, I can't take him as seriously as we need to. He had a great race last week, finished on the podium, was coming through the field this week. Like, I mean, Michael said that he might have got ahead of me. I feel, I think he was definitely getting ahead of me. The question was whether he was going to get ahead of Zarco to finish that race. And then we obviously saw what happened. And, you know, it was a shame for, for me because, you know, he was having a great race, um, really did nothing wrong and just kind of got cleared out. Um, what did you make of it, mate? Uh, look, I, up until the incident, he was a factory Ducati rider. He was the, the highest one. Where was Pecco? He was down in 21st or so, or something at that point. Yeah, we got to talk about Pecco after this as well, though. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think if he doesn't have that incident, we're talking, we're having a very different conversation. So I guess that I, I last night I kind of sat back and I thought this is probably what Michael and Anthony have been saying. Um, Cause Joey and I have been very vocal against you two in terms of the Miller hate, but I kind of get Miller now. Hate. <laughs> there you haven't been here. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Look, I think if he's doing that consistently throughout the season, I can now see why uh, you guys don't see him as a championship contender, even though he is currently the, the top Ducati factory rider. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because he definitely, before this race, he, I was, I said it last week, he's performed by far the best of the Ducati riders uh, on the factory team up to this point. But then you've got, he gets no points because he puts it into the kitty litter. And you've got someone like Bagnaya, who was starting 23rd, was sitting 21st up till halfway through the race and then manages to come home in seventh. And then that kind of shows you what he's up against. Bastianini had an ordinary race, crashed. Miller crashed. Zarco had an awesome race. Bagnaya had an awesome race from where he started. Mm. And the thing that he's got to contend with isn't just Bagnaya. That's the other you know, misconception about the scenario. I mean, I think of all the Ducati riders, him and Zarco are in the most pressure to retain their seats um, on that factory, on that Ducati. Um, and you see Zarco finishes in second. He's done, has already done something to kind of prop himself up. If Miller finishes on the podium twice in two races, he puts himself back in that conversation as well. But mistakes like that just aren't going to cut it for him. And he'll find the ride. There's already talk of him moving back to LCR Honda next year as well, um, which is interesting um, considering the resources they don't have compared to Pramac, some would say. Um, but I just don't think he did himself any favours. Favors. And when you look at someone like me as well, who has won championships before just from like, I like the word that you used, Michael, grafting, just grafting, getting the points that are on offer, not overplaying your hand and to be taken out like that and to lose 16 valuable championship points. Um, that'd be a little bit of a issue. Um, H, you got to tell me what my next talking point mate was. Unfortunately, I don't have them with me. Uh, so you could go either with Aprilia or Suzuki. Oh, we've spoken We've spoken about Suzuki, Aprilia. has to be um, another big talking point for the early season so far, Mick. I mean, they had a little bit of an underwhelming race last time out after their first win. But Aleix Espargaro 
is, you know, turning into a fine wine as a rider. He's getting better with age. Um, again, came had a really, really good late race pace. But then we also saw the maturity of the man. Obviously, probably used up a little bit of tie to get up to the back of Zarco. Didn't overplay his hand. Settled for third. Um, and he is definitely has to be considered um, in this early season um, championship battle. Yeah, look, I think to an extent, I think Aleish did an Aleish. Aleish is very... If Aleish has shown anything, he's not the most aggressive of riders. He's very conservative in that sense, but he's not afraid to obviously push this, this Aprilia bike, which, you know, from all accounts so far just looks really consistent um it looks well-rounded it actually is really surprising me like it doesn't surprise eh? doesn't yeah it doesn't surprise me in the sense that you know they've had they've obviously had a lot of concessions for a number of years now so they they should be there um but it seems just like a very well-rounded bike and i'm really happy for aprilia because i feel like you know the more competitive these bikes are across all manufacturers the better the sport um will benefit so no i'm, I'm really enjoying and look to con- especially to, con- to think of Aleish as being like i said a conservative writer and someone who i would necessarily rate as a killer the fact that he's there or thereabouts is for me validation of the bike itself so i wouldn't go as far to say as he's a championship threat but you never know like we've seen like i said two years ago that if if riders can just be consistent they don't necessarily have to win five six races to win a championship if you're there or thereabouts and you're consistently on the podium you, you can win one or two races and and your consistency will take you to the title so that's why i'm saying this this year so far um is completely up in the air i don't think we're going to have a year like last year where you have one rider winning a, a whole stack of races i think the way that the championship um works with how diverse every track is i think we're going to have different ra- different race winners quite frequently and Again, it's just going to be who's more consistent and who, you know, who um, who doesn't fall off the bike. Like, I I really expected more from Peko um, at the start of this season. He doesn't seem to be um, as formidable, but say as he was proving to be last year. So, yeah, I just think it's all up in the air. But Aprilia, they've really impressed me so far. I think I'm if we're going to talk about Aprilia, a team that you know, a manufacturer that I thought would have been a little bit um, more impressive this year would, I would say, would have to be Ducati. They've got the most bikes on the grid. Um, I'm a little bit underwhelmed so far um, as to their performance. Yes, Anaya has, you know, won the first race, etc. But to have that many um, bikes... Two races. Well, yeah, but to have that many bikes and to have so much quality on them, um, to be honest, I just... I would have expect I've I expected probably more podium presence so far. So I think um, in terms of what I I would have expected to see more, I probably would have expected to see more Ducati podiums so far given they're, they're, just the sheer numbers. They're definitely having an issue <clears throat> staying on those bikes. I mean, Martin crashed yesterday, Miller crashed yesterday, Bagnaia came from the back, had a had a good race, but really shouldn't be starting. He crashed twice on the Saturday and injured himself, which is why he started at the back. But it's definitely hasn't Who's been that? Uh, Bagnaya, um, that's why he started at the back. Um, so I was very definitely issues on that bike. Yeah, there's issues with that bike and people staying on it. Um, yeah, 
Well, look, like I said, we, we've we've done a few of the tracks now that are speed tracks. I'm very interested to see the next, especially um, when we Harris. start to, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very interested to see Hareth, Hareth because Hareth is a is one probably one of my favourite tracks in the calendar, full stop. Um, I mentioned it in the chat with yesterday. It's a it's a track that Mark Marquez loves, and that and that actually segues nicely into um, Honda, who I also think have been pretty pretty average to be honest so far. Um, it's going to be very it's going to be very interesting. I think Hareth will tell us a lot about where everyone's at because it's got speed, it's got cornering. Um, it's a track that a lot of the the paddock love because mm. so much of so many riders are Spanish and they grew up there. And um, I just I think Hereth will tell us a lot. But is it conceivable to see Quadraro having a similar race again next week? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he'll be up there, but I I, I think her um I think Hereth has more. I think it's more. I think it's more speedy than Portimao. It's definitely not as, um, you know, it's not good. You're not the gradient's not going up and down, mm. and 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 you're not making those those kind of turns, which I think Quadraro loves. Um, but I think it's going to tell us a lot because the Ducatis will have opportunities to obviously flex their muscle with the speed, um, but also um, we know that, like I said, people like Mark Marquez, Rins loves Hareth as well last year he was doing really well before he fell so i think i think there's going to be i think it's going to be a very interesting track a uh, very interesting race at a track that everyone loves so really keen for her race. i think it's going to be very telling well let's finish on on honda then uh interesting race for honda i mean you had three riders that were pretty much nose to tail for the whole race you had mark alex marquez who had the best race of i would say his career he's he's finished higher than that before but just from a competitive point on a bike that seemed to struggle yesterday, um, I was really impressed with with his race. He definitely did need it because if there's two riders on the grid that are uh, in serious consideration for losing their seats, it's got to be Nakagami who fell again uh, and Alex Marquez. So for- I, I have not seen a race because I don't watch every single race. Yeah. I have not seen a race where that guy hasn't fallen off his bike. Mate, he- He's he's fallen off a cliff because there was a time where he really his trajectory and his stock was really starting to rise. Yeah. Um and actually, he's just got no confidence. The first half of 2020, he mm. was going through like a bit of a purple patch where he was qualifying really well. He finished one or two races in a in a really good position and everyone was saying, you know, this guy will look out for him. And then I think I think when they got to I think it was Valencia, um, he fell twice in two weeks um i think he crashed out of second in the first lap one of those races and ser seriously since then mm. all of last year and all of this year he's just been he's been abysmal and yeah mm. I, I do agree i think he's he's probably my rate my rider who's at m most risk of losing his seat but um just to touch upon honda like um again i don't think necessarily the tracks that we've raced at this year are honda tracks if i'm being completely honest we've got to remember that mark marquez has only ever raced at portimao once i believe um so as good as mark is like i just think there's other riders there that are better at that track i think with that's why i keep saying hereth is going to be a massive um indication i think of where mark is at but also where honda's at because mark um you know, infamously crashed at Hareth 
um, you know, this is where all his problems started, really, on a, in a race where he was absolutely mowing everyone mm. down um, pre mm. pre crash. Just it was it probably would have been one of his greatest victories had he not crashed. Because he almost um, he, he saved it and came out last well, again, he was, right? He was well, he, he was coming. It. Well, even the fact that he was racing, I'm pretty sure he had a massive accident in qualifying yeah. or practice that weekend. Got on the bike, started the race. ridiculous position. No, Michael, then, he led the race, yeah. saved it, but went into the gravel, came back yeah. out last, yeah, and then it was, was back fighting for the lead and just. <laughs> it was going to be one. It was going to be one of. It was going to be one of his, um, greatest wins if you if he won that race. Probably his greatest. You could make the argument if he had won that race, but he obviously didn't. So I think. Next week's going to be massive for Honda. Let's see where Mark's at. I'm genuinely very concerned about this guy because, I mean, he came off the bike, hit his head this week. I'm thinking, you know, two rounds of dipopia. Is he going to be concussed again? You know, he got he got up and said he was fine. I'm just, I'm concerned about Mark, but that's another discussion for another day. But let's let's see how Haref goes because I think Haref generally is pretty much open season for a lot of a lot of teams. A lot of manufacturers perform really well there you've got Aprilia now in the mix KTM you know they've already shown that they're they're there or thereabouts so I think it's it's anyone's game Oliveira um, with his fourth place and his win this year and the inconsistency of the season hmm. from where he was last year and everyone's saying you know what's happened to Oliveira he hasn't really had the most consistent season this year but he's got some decent points early on so even him I mean he's kind of kind of put together a semi-decent start to the season that should really give him confidence moving into the European leg of the championship. Now that we're in Europe, I think it's just going to, I think the real um, title contenders are going to really come to the fore in the next couple, next two, three rounds. So I, I think look out, but it's the beauty of MotoGP. You can never, you can never tell. It's just, it's anyone's game. There's so many, and I think it was telling also just to finish, it was very telling that went that Rins was able to take, I think, the the back ten riders, like I said, in about two or three corners. And then when you get to that top twelve and all that you start hitting all of those talented riders, it's it's so tight amongst that top twelve. It's just insane. Like anyone can win. Anyone can win on any given any given week on any given bike. And I, I think that's part of the beauty of, of that category. I love H, the passion. Mm-hmm. I love the passion with which you discuss MotoGP matters, Michael. And like I said on the chat last night, you come alive for a good 45 minutes on the chat every every week and then disappear. Hey, so, I've, got to, I've got to ask you this. So last night on the chat, you kind of said that you watched MotoGP with your brother and yep. you just it's it's kind of kind of but not really giving you the feels just yet. Um, <sighs> and you were hanging for the F1 and then you were underwhelmed by slightly underwhelmed by the F1 product. Yep. Watching those back-to-back, did it kind of give you a little bit more uh, respect for the two-wheeled category? No, I still preferred the Formula 1. I don't know what it is. Like I, I, like I said on the to you guys, I understand in theory that MotoGP is an excellent category, right? Like Michael just so eloquently told us, Anyone on any given day can win the race. You know, there's multiple contenders, blah, blah, blah. For me, I don't know if it's because it doesn't look as dramatic as, as, as the cars going around a track. I, I don't know. I just can't. 
both of us were there trying to watch it last night and I just couldn't I don't know. It just wasn't could it, doing could it. it. Could it could it be just that there's it still maybe needs a little bit more time to percolate in your imagination? Like it's because it's be. still a very new it's still a like a fair like we're we're kind of fifteen years into this mm. love affair where you're kind of just um still flirting with with the girl, you know what I mean? So yeah. um, we're probably at different stages in, in the thing, but I, I'm to echo what Michael's saying as a formula one enthusiast, G motor GP is good to watch 50 minute race, anything like Marquez was sitting nowhere for the whole race, but bloody hells and enthralling. Like it's always such a, such a good watch. I think um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what got me. Cause my motorsport journey is a little bit different to say Anthony or Joe's or probably even you, Harry, because I've never really been someone who, you know, I've always liked it. It's always been something that, that I've, you know, I've looked at from afar and admired, whatever. But I think, um, I think with MotoGP, I, I obviously followed, I've, I've followed Suzuki's progression quite closely for, well, since they, they re-entered um, the sport. And I, but even then, I, I wasn't really like all into it until probably five years ago. Um, but what really sold me was just the the brevity of the races. Like they're not, you're not, you're not there for an hour and a half watching. You know, it's it's fifty minutes at most, and just the I, I find just the unpredictable the unpredictable nature of it. But also like the fact that not everyone, it's not the same person every week. Last year was a little bit like that, um, and when Mark was in his pomp. I just think his how good he was lent the, led to the fact that he was winning a lot. But now, in the last three years or so, um, it's just become so even, and I, I I just think that just makes for for me anyway a, a really good spectacle to have so many manufacturers that are so close. Um, I just think makes it a, such a good product. I'd love to, and I think F1 this year is kind of getting closer to that. Um, I think I'm. I think where you are with MotoGP, I'm probably with F1. Um, and I think it's probably just going to be time. So maybe mm-hmm. like I know as time goes by and having what and talking with you guys and probably understanding the sport more because I haven't, I hadn't watched it for so long. There's so much, so many things that I don't know about. I think as I get used to it more and learn more of these nuances, I'm enjoying it more. So maybe that's just something that, you know, as time goes by, you'll, you'll begin to enjoy more, but do you feel like um, getting, you know, used to the teams and the riders and the little back and forth moments in the, throughout the season, you're, you're starting to understand it more, if not enjoy it more a little bit, or is it still something that you're hesitant to kind of embrace? That's not that I'm hesitant to embrace. I'm still struggling to know, you know, who's affiliated with who and, you know, satellite team, like it just, it seems very messy coming from Formula One, if that makes sense. You know, you got your teams and more. You got your 10 teams. Yeah. Those teams are the teams. They've obviously got affiliations with the engine supplier, but that's pretty much it. Whereas trying to wrap my head around the MotoGP grid. You probably need need to pick a team, H. You probably need to pick pick a team. Well, I like Marquez, so I'm probably going to go Honda. Um, otherwise, it'll be Ducati. Be creative. Let's open it up. Go KTM mm. or Aprilia. I reckon jump on. Yeah, I don't I even know what Aprilia is. I reckon jump on the KTM. Brand. I'd be jumping on that KTM band, bandwagon. I think there's so much potential there, and you've got an Aussie. You've got an Aussie rider. Um, you know, 
ready to go. You can follow his progression because I don't think your mate Miller will, will ever really do anything. So why not jump on that Gardner train? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to this weekend. I'll watch this weekend again. You, you need F1. So you need that MotoGP Unlimited to drop in Australia. Yes. That might give you that might what give we you need. the um, push. We need a we need a boys trip to um Albert Park because if there's if there's one category that's still flaunting Phillip the, Island. Oh sorry, yes. <laughs> Phillip Island. I'm I'm happy to go to Albert Park but, next year. Mate. Those engines, those those engines are still loud as as loud as they were. Loud as hell, mate. Louder if not louder than they were ten years ago. So if you want to go hear some real noise, that that's um let's go to Phillip Island and, and see the um the Grand Prix of Australia. Speaking of boys trips, is the 12 hour coming up soon? 12 hours yeah, coming, up coming up on the, I'll give you a date. I'll give you the date. It's on the, it's on our calendar, isn't it? Yeah, it's supposed to be with the day I'm going racing, but I can't go racing. 15th of May. Lovely. It's coming up fast. 15th, so 15th of, May. of May. Yep. FA yep. Cup final weekend. There you go. There you go. Big weekend. Big weekend. Boys, I think we'll leave it there. I've eaten all the meat and potatoes now, so <laughs> we'll leave it till next week. So we've got MotoGP racing next week. We'll have a podcast also with hopefully Valmont Racing, um, another interview with another Australian race team um, as they prepare for the Bathurst 12 hours. So that gives us a little bit of a precursor into that event, which should you know hopefully be really interesting for everyone. H, Mick, thanks for jumping onto the pod again tonight. It's good to see you again, Mick. It's good to see that the favelas didn't, you know, perforate you with any bullets while you're over there in Brazil. Um, it's gracious. We've got Brazilian listeners. We've got to be sensitive to that, guys. And um, I'm sure they understand the um, the the um, mortal danger that you can be put in when walking through those favelas. Anyway. Hey, my favourite um, driver of all time is Senna. So go Brazil. My favourite drive, my favourite movie of all time is Fast and the Furious 5. So go Rio. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> you need to eat some more meat and potatoes. All right, boys. Have All a right, good boys. night. Good Top night. Thanks. See you, Jess. Bye.